0: And that stuff's all, like, true, but there's this big distortion, and even I wasn't really sure exactly how to approach that relation to the wage, quote-unquote, like, labor shortage versus the the wage shortage. And I think what you were saying is exactly right, is that, like, there is a labor shortage, quote-unquote, in... Really shitty jobs. Like anything that pays minimum wage and is extraordinarily exploitative. They want as many people to take that, you know – awful pill as possible and then they've but they've smeared it on everything like you were saying to say that oh there's actually labor shortage quote-unquote everywhere and that's why we have to end benefits for people
1: did you know that there's a labor shortage in the military and that you could (laughs) sign up today to get your college provided because we won't provide it otherwise
0: yeah that's what they're gonna (laughs) fucking do they're gonna do that shit like ugh, it's yeah because i like to what you were saying i saw that There was an article or something that somebody had written that's been going around Twitter about, like, they applied to something like 60 entry-level jobs and only heard back from Mm -hmm. two.
1: You know, apparently the uh, Facebook group, uh, a group where no one wants to work, is cited in that article, I think. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Which is a group where I've gotten a couple of my memes recently. It's a pretty good good group. Work stoppage. Uh, We have mandated that John take a day off. He said he was feeling a little under the weather and we democratically voted that he's not allowed to come to work today. That's right. So so he has a mandated day off of the pod. And so if you'd like to support John in getting better, you can go to patreon.com slash workstoppage and throw us five bucks. It definitely helps, you know, pay our bills and things like that. It's not a lot, but it does every little bit helps. And. Uh, Otherwise, you can share our content, uh, follow us on any of the platforms, but I guess we should get right into the news. Uh, We're going to be following up on the IATSE strike, which is, you know, it's one of those things like, uh, it's rapidly developing, and there's kind of a lot of stuff going on, and it's... (laughs) It seems like it's gonna, the strike is still possibly going to happen, but there's so much like consent manufacturing around all of the articles. Like, look at all these benefits. Look at this giant list of great things. And what it is is it's basically an itemized list of all the different ways in which they rose wages specifically, and not really a lot else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because so as we you know talked about and. On our last episode, but also has been, you know, the top ta- one of the the few strikes that or potential strikes that's actually gotten a lot of mainstream coverage because of its size. Everything going on with IATSE has 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 actually been, for once, you know, the rare labor case that's actually been this in the spotlight, even, you know, alongside other big strikes like Kellogg's and and and, and John Deere. And so there was, I feel like there was almost this sense of disappointment online again this is impossible for me to compare to like how it out how people within the actual locals and Iatsy actually feel because it's just relating to this via twitter which is as i've said many many times is not real life and
1: is a terrible platform um <laughs> yeah
0: that's
1: true <laughs> I mean, I, we have seen some like workers i think i saw a tiktok video of someone being like oh yeah how about all this uh you know this this all this time off how about eight hours off a day you know yeah
0: well and that's the thing it's like it's been everything that i've seen about it has been either really strong one way or the other you've got the stuff coming out of more i guess i would say more like hollywood press type agencies where they've been reporting on stuff from ayatsi where there it's mostly based on statements from ayatsi itself that tends to be like hey you know the pressure caused by the the workers having such a unified strike authorization vote and the threat of completely shutting down Hollywood forced the companies back to the table, and they were able to get almost everything that they wanted. And then I've seen all this other stuff from you know individuals, but also from, uh, relayed through to the labor reporters that I follow, and and also some stuff you know from specific IATSE members who have been tweeting stuff out about about this that is that are like this is a complete betrayal. This doesn't address like any of the key features, and and I think the specific details that we have right now that are important is exactly what you were getting at Lena, that the, the, the agreement and the details that, that have been put out do increase wages for workers. And in some cases, like the poor, like the lowest paid workers based on the current contracts in some cases, which I believe based on what I've read is basically like the lowest paid workers who had been working on streaming services and had been getting those streaming exemptions, Will under, would under the new agreement, if it is ratified, um, get a pretty large increase in their wages. They were saying some places, w- some people would see as much as a 62% wage increase, although that's two twenty-six dollars an hour, which, you know, $26 an hour, that's fine. But like, if that's somebody who like you're living in, you know, Southern California, that's not, that's not, you know, you know, that's not some incredible that upper middle class wage.
1: Indicate that also indicates to us that these people have been being paid twelve dollars an hour. Um, no, or no, is that? Am I doing the math it's like seventeen? Like oh, seventeen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes more sense. I was doing the math slightly wrong, but yeah. So I mean, to to get a a, a uh, wage raise like that is good. But uh, if these people are doing this incredibly hard job and have been for a while, I think that one of the things that should be considered are, you know, like almost back pay in a certain sense. Like the wages need to be making up for the fact that the wages have been so low.
0: Right. Um, And and that was one of the things that we kind of saw in the Nabisco strike where they had that $5,000 ratification bonus, which essentially is serving exactly as what you're saying, basically as a single back pay. Yeah. Uh, Payment to workers. Right. Um, But to your point, though, the specific thing that we talked about last episode, the thing that was hammered on the most in all of the pre strike stuff, all of the interviews with different like workers from different locals has been the understaffing problem, which, you know, Mm -hmm. is the corollary to the overwork problem, which is that because they don't want to hire enough people to work people the normal amount of hours everything is set up so that the company can ju- the companies that like the production companies can just pay basically peanuts as far as penalties to skip breaks force people to work you know 12 14 16 hour days
1: well, and even in the even in the list there was one where it's like after the third violation there is a you know <laughs> yeah. some sort of wage increase it's just like wait what about the first two violations
0: <laughs> yeah and, and so like the the new agreement raises wages for everybody. Although some folks are only going to see a wage increase of 3%, which is less than inflation. Like that's not a, that's less than inflation in some normal years. And especially this year when, and this is something we'll see in some of the other stories we're going to cover, but like in a year where inflation on average is over 5%, a 3% wage increase is a pay cut. That's not, that's not a wage increase because you're not keeping up with inflation.
1: Yeah, um, definitely. We're going to get to a point later. Later, I mean, I can maybe pre-get to this point is that, like, all things should be adjusted for inflation. Like, yes. that should be, like, like, you can maybe do, like, this year because you know kind of what inflation is going to be and then, like, set a, a wage increase based on that. But all future raises should be based on inflation. It should be inflation plus. Inf- inflation plus.
0: Yeah, and... And the critical thing that folks kept pointing out in there was not just that the wages were low, and this does seem like they, they did do a good job at that, and it does increase meal penalties, so the penalties that the companies have to pay when they skip these breaks are higher, and in some cases quite a bit higher. But while it it does set a mandatory, because this is the other thing they'll talk about, oh, it sets a mandatory turnaround time of at least 10 hours, but a large percentage of IATSE workers already had that as their... Minimum turnaround time between shifts and wanted 12 hours or more uh, to prevent, you know, people from being overworked and getting exhausted and (laughs) crashing their cars and and including mandatory weekend amounts of hours of, I believe, 54 hours for people who work a five day week or 32 hours for people working a six
1: day week. Uh, Actually, it's five days in a row or six days total in a week. Yeah,
0: that's it. That's what it is. But. Those are not that different than what already existed. And at no point in this agreement do they actually mandate that instead of just taking a break penalty, you actually have to give the people the break. It's just raising what the penalty is monetarily. And so fundamentally, at least from the details that they've released, which hasn't been the full contract, it's it's just been some pieces of it, and that stuff's still trickling out now. I, I haven't seen anything in what they've released that actually forces – production companies to address the understaffing issue and for, and and actually address like what it seems to be the root cause of most of what a lot of these folks wanted to strike over.
1: Well, it reminds me of our critique of OSHA and how, you know, the fines are bullshit or whatever, but they, it's like they took that point and they're like, okay, so we're going to increase the fines. And we're just like, no, no, you need to actually give like recourse to these workers when they are abused and they need to have actual, like control of their working conditions when things are bad you need to like force a union on the company or or something or like literally give the company to the workers i think that uh they're really this capitulation shows the limitations of just like monetary benefit i think
0: yeah yeah, like because then that's the thing that makes this difficult to like have a really simple take on because there are legitimate, like there there's good things in this agreement. There's also stuff about forcing the production companies to keep paying into, you know, pension plans and not creating a tier of workers that don't have those. And, and that stuff's important and good, but it's, that's all a defensive battle. That's all keeping stuff kind of the way that it is. Mm -hmm. And rather than actually fighting to fix the core root causes, of the worst aspects of, of the profession that folks are are facing.
1: Yeah, and they didn't actually, as far as I could tell when I was reading over what was public, there was one stipulation in there that reminded me of what, how we originally covered it and how there's like a multi-tiered system for different levels of of quote-unquote new media. And they still have like a for streaming services under 2 or under 20 million subscribers yeah. and so suddenly we're like basing people's work conditions on whether or not like they have 20 million subscribers like that's the tier it seems right. kind of high and maybe maybe i'm misunderstanding how stream service stream services work but even to just have that that tiered system is going to cause more problems
0: yeah. No, I mean, for sure. That's, that's, that's another thing. It's yeah, I- exactly what you like, that fits right in with, with what, you know, everything we've been saying about the wages and the hours is that this isn't fundamentally changing the relationship between IATSE workers and the streaming services. It's, it's minor adjustment of degree, which I think kind of lends itself to show how strongly involved the producer producing companies were in, in setting those standards. But so now, obviously, it's it's a tentative agreement. It's got to go back to the locals for a vote, and some folks have have detailed that the process for this in Iatsi is a, a little bit. I I mean, I think it's a little odd, but this may be something that's the electoral used electoral college thing. Yeah, because cause <laughs> Iatsi basically uses an electoral college system for ratifying these sorts of deals, and part of that is because like you know, there's a lot there's, of people,
1: and they're there, very a, separate yes, locals.
0: Yes, exactly. And so it's basically the system where, like the electoral college, where each local votes and whoever, which, and if yes or no gets 50 plus one vote, all of the, like, you know, all the votes of that local then go in that direction. And they, they pointed out that this played a, a role in, in their last contract in 2018, where the, the delegate vote, which is basically the final vote on the actual contract showed 81% 81% in favor of the contract, but the actual raw vote totals, when you sum them up around all the locals, only showed 53% in favor. So the actual vote of the, the the members of the union was very split and very close to not accepting the contract. But because of that system, it looked like it was overwhelmingly approved. And so that's the sort of thing where if you have a close vote and you have it the other way, where it's 53% or so against, you could still have the contract appear as if it's been overwhelmingly approved because of this delegate system of voting.
1: Yeah. And if that does happen, we're going to expect that they're going to use that as a tool against the workers.
0: Yeah. It, it it's, I, I would relate it, I guess, to the now gotten rid of, but formerly very shitty rule that the teamsters used to have, where if they didn't have two thirds voting against a contract, the management was able to accept it anyway. Yeah, and basically-
1: it's it's the most famous case that they have for the UPS workers, where yeah. I think it was 2016 contract or 2015. I Think so. Some they sometime around, around the time. that time when they were doing their contract, and the the workers rejected the contract, but uh, but then you know they made them get rid, push it through anyway, just because of some bullshit two thirds rule.
0: Yeah. And so since, you know, IETC is such a big union, as as Lena mentioned, the locals are kind of scattered all over the place. There's people who aren't in the Hollywood area that have, you know, different things they have to negotiate. So they're still hammering out a lot of the details. So the actual vote on this is not likely to occur for a few weeks. And because of all the discontent, there's been some discussion at some some locals of doing wildcat stoppages in the meantime that we have. I haven't seen any actually happen yet. But there's been discussions about that, and we we have a few quotes in here from from members of IATSE. Like, they had a a uh, quote here from Ronan Byers, a Dolly Grip in IATSE Local 80, who said, "quote We wanted to send a message that things needed to actually change." The ten-hour turnarounds—that's the same shit that's already in my contract. Why would I get excited about that?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, that's what we were referring to, kind of at the beginning.
0: Yeah, and and there's I've you know I found all sorts of you know individual quotes from various labor reporters who are, have been putting out stuff they've been hearing from IATSE members. Like, uh, let's see, another one who said uh, there was also specifically uh, IA stories, which is like I want an IATSE. Um, instagram account where folks have been kind of like you know anonymously sharing stories of of all the problems with the current deal where they wrote a post after the announcement of the tentative agreement said quote as we understand it if membership votes no we can come back to the table with more demands while the deal does claim to address some issues that we want to change considering the massive solidarity and momentum that we have already amassed there's no reason we can't ask for more end quote and i think that really sums it up
1: Well, and if they can almost even play like they're like, oh, this is really interesting. I'm glad that you could. No, 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 no. (laughs) That's what I'm hoping to hear. But, you know, it's up to the workers. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. So we'll we'll definitely be following that and, you know. If there's a big change on that end, we'll we'll keep folks posted.
1: Yeah. As for things that are not up to the workers, <laughs> uh, yeah. we have our second follow-up on Starbucks. And I know that, you know, I'm sure our listeners are almost on the edge of their seats for this one because, I mean, I personally am myself. I'm unsarcastically un- un- saying that. Uh, so in the Buffalo area, as we reported previously, there was a pretty strong movement to unionize a couple Starbucks stores where then Starbucks had said, oh, no, you have to unionize the entire region or and like a couple other like hang ups that they're trying to stop the union. Well, this newest kind of uh, attack on the workers is literally a Walmart tactic of when uh, Walmart originally lost a union vote in canada and what did they do they shut down the sh- the stores and this is exactly what starbucks has done is they're afraid that the union that the union is going to pass because they see how strong it is and they see all of the action and they see all the support and so what they've done is they've actually just totally closed well they've temporarily closed yeah. two stores and and you know one of them is for renovations the other is indefinite right i think that i think yeah, that that's I'm, I'm doing this from memory so
0: yeah and the funny thing about this is that immediately as people like people see them close the stores and the the union union uh, workers have been like this is extremely obviously an an attempt to fuck with our union election and so starbucks is rolling out the no it's not for that we were always planning to do this Please pay no attention to the fact that these are oh, we're only doing this to the stores that are planning on unionizing.
1: Yeah, they definitely made made it clear that or at least the people who were reporting on this made it clear that the that the renovations at the one place that are going to go through were actually scheduled for much earlier this year before the unionization effort was even like public at all. And so that had been being postponed and postponed and postponed, and then suddenly with through these these what is it listening sessions or what yeah. we call captive audience meetings um they've been like oh we've heard you and now we're going to do it as and what real what this really says is that okay so we're scared and we're going to go ahead and fire everyone
0: yeah and this is of course one of those things that just seems to me to be an absolutely glaring violation of like the NLRA and and status and also quo. probably a bunch of labor codes because the there's so much about this that seems to at a very minimum be a violation of the status quo just that if not actually you know direct interference in the election because they'd specifically targeted Like, because the unionizing folks had specifically decided we're going to try and unionize store by store so we can concentrate where we have our strength, which is a smart tactic. That makes sense. And then Starbucks is turning around and saying, oh, we're not firing anyone for being a union organizer. We're not you know, persecuting the people. We're just, you know, breaking up those work units and scattering the people to other locations and disrupting people's lives and, and permanently turning one of the stores that was going to unionize into a training center claiming that, Hey, no, we're doing this because of what the workers told us. It, it it just so happens that the store that we're turning into a training center is one of the ones that was going to be union and had, you know, some of the highest percentage of likely union votes.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, oh, well, no, y'all are so smart. Clearly, you know, you, you're you so well organized that we need you to go and train all of these people. Right. But this is the exact same uh, union steward to management pipeline that we see in places that actually have their unions where they try to take some of the most powerful leaders and co-opt them into management through things like wage increases um, for the individual and not for all of the workers and other sorts of, of kind of tactics that separate the workers who are actually doing the strong union work
0: yeah i mean like there's a ton of parallels here like in the economic struggle here and the way that starbucks has tried to co-opt this to neutralize the movement and the way that you see like the democrats operate to try and co-opt and and Mm -hmm. defuse like social movements but and specifically like in addition to closing these stores like i mean we've reported some of this stuff but like They've had Starbucks regional managers and executives have been in the Buffalo area around the clock. As you know, saying holding captive audience meetings and flooding the stores with new hires. And part of the reason behind that is now it's like, Oh, so we've massively inflated the bargaining unit size with people who are new. And so don't know you and aren't like steady in their job and and are going to be like, you know, more scared of being fired than somebody who maybe who's been there for a while. And, so, like, there's been plenty of reports from the the Starbucks Workers United who have talked about how, like, these tactics have been very, obviously very intimidating and threatening. But at the same time, for a lot of people, only cementing the motivation even further for why they do need a union. So,
1: I don't know what recourse is going to happen because, I mean, I'm like, it's likely that an unfair labor practice is going to be filed. But we all know how long that takes. I mean, right. maybe they'll... Try to get through this like right before they'll like finish the the renovations. Right as the unfair labor practice comes down, and then, but the they're going to get their vote, and then the union is going to be mostly busted at that point.
0: Yeah, and and so obviously, I mean the the SB Workers United folks, their Twitter account has been fantastic. Like if you just want good, you know, pro union propaganda, absolutely follow them. They're they are doing a great job with their communication strategy, but. I mean, this really does show that the idea that the NLRB like does anything to proactively protect workers' rights is just like a kind of a if people that actually did believe in that is kind of a sham because it's like even if you get you know pro union members in on the actual board or in the regulatory system, there are so many things that companies can do to fuck with these elections beforehand.
1: Yeah, it's, it's always like, in reaction
0: yeah you can't rely on those systems it's it's only the actual centers of of organized worker power that can enforce this sort of stuff and obviously that's it's a difficult thing to say when folks are trying to first form that union because until it's actually there until it's actually like being able to move and and organize its power it's hard well, and, not to say you sh- you can rely on some of these state institutions,
1: right? And based on on the way that our country and everything views a union, I mean, the state recognition is a kind of a, a a deal breaker for a lot of unions, just because of the way that we do our union rhetoric. Because, like, really, the SB Workers United could still maintain their union throughout all of this, even if the election doesn't happen, and they could still do mm-hmm. actions, and like, they probably will. I mean, they're pretty gr- they're pretty good union it's more so that like in order to get uh good like or publications or recognition from you know any sort of mainstream outlet they have to have state recognition right um which is a barrier that is there on purpose
0: yeah so um so we'll you know we're gonna keep following starbucks united but i i do think that at least it's been gratifying to see that like they have been on top of this stuff since like the beginning they have not been surprised by any of these tactics so uh, it, it seems like their leadership in the, in their their organizing for their union is has got like a pretty good they've got pretty good heads on their shoulders so we'll see how they respond to this but i mean this is a tactic that's that's really difficult to deal with the like capital flight sort of thing because i was reading another story which like there wasn't you know enough to throw in here. But there's Dollar General has done this exact same thing, like what you were talking about, where the few times where folks have been able to successfully try and organize an election, and there's one going on in Connecticut right now, where they'll just be like, Oh, okay, you won your election. Oh shit, look at the time. It's it's uh, store close readjustment o'clock. o'clock and we're closing yeah. <laughs> the store forever. Oops.
1: Yeah. Well, that's also they're they're known for doing pop-up businesses, basically shutting things yeah. down and picking them up, doing high, high amounts of understaffing. Um, I mean, I would, I'd love to to tell some of the stories <laughs> I've heard from some, uh, Oh, well, I guess it was family dollar that I've, that, but it's like all of those businesses are the same. Yeah. And I think still, I,
0: I, I do think one thing though, that this demonstrates and, and so does, I mean, a lot of the stories that we cover it, but I, and people have been making this point, a lot of like labor journalists, I know specifically Hamilton <laughs> Nolan's written about this, but, it's not just impo- like it's not just enough to have like unions and even well run unions. They have to be mass organizations. They have to be large. You have to be able to get the most like most people unionized because then companies can't just do that. They can't close stuff and move it around in a shell game to try and play it against workers if most of the workers are already, you know, organized. That's because in the same way that we need our collective power at an individual shop to be able to match up against the power of the owners, you need it on a broader level. And, and in addition to, you know, the, the political angle of that with a party, you just, just purely from the, the trade union angle, like if you've only got 8% of the workers organized, even if you've got a really good organizational apparatus, that's still 92% of the workers that these places can still go after. And so it's really vital that we use the momentum and, and any sort of stuff that we get out of these events, like, you know, strike to 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 build and grow all of these unions, and 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 hopefully that's you know one of the primary things that they're focusing on right
1: now. Well, and that sentiment leads us really well into our next story with a minority group being oppressed because of you know a little bit of lack of solidarity from all of the other workers, and uh, maybe I'm you know reaching a little bit there, but there is a pretty. This happens at a lot of tech companies. We're actually going to be talking about Netflix hiring – I mean firing um, trans employees who uh, had planned a walkout, uh, including – or I guess more specifically the organizer who was working to um, stage a walkout in response to, like, transphobic content that's being produced on the platform. Um, And, you know, it's just – it's really tough when, you know, you have – it's like the – the Spotify workers when they were, uh, I, I I would almost like to look into back on on what that because uh, now that I'm thinking about this story, I'm thinking about the the Spotify workers who were protesting the the Joe Rogan uh, yeah. podcast and uh, and I I don't even know what came of that uh, now that I think about it, I need to look back on it.
0: Well, yeah, and because, and, like, obviously there's been a ton of discourse around the Dave Chappelle special, and but, but what we're focusing on here, like what, what Lena was talking about, like, regardless of how you want to have that debate about comedy and, and all that, all the other stuff revolving around it, like, Netflix's response to this criticism has been atrocious and really only, I think, serves to underline the validity of the concerns raised by... by all the people like the trans employees and and allies at the company, because obviously everybody knows about, I mean, if you're online, you have heard of about all the stuff about Dave Chappelle and his new special and and the transphobic comments that he made. It's in there. But specifically what is what Lena was talking about? Like that led to frustrations with a lot of trans employees understandably at Netflix who went to a meeting that was specifically supposed to be, you know, addressing concerns from the employees Several of them were suspended for quote crashing the meeting, which I don't understand how you can crash a meeting that is supposed to be geared towards informing the employees of the company <laughs> and supposedly geared towards hearing their concerns.
1: But, yeah, because I mean if they were crashing it and they, I imagine that they went in there with a with a message yes. and they spoke their message and then were reprimanded for doing so.
0: Mhm. Yeah, and and then and so folks had announced, as Lino was saying, they announced they're gonna do a walkout, which is I believe happening actually right now. Um a, a walkout of of all the I mean, I don't know if all, but so there's there's an employee resource group for trans folks at uh Netflix and you know other like non-binary folks, I think, just LGBT community generally as well. And they had raised a ton of specific concerns about this special and and had announced this walkout. And then the primary organizer, who a a who is black and, and apparently and currently pregnant, was fired by Netflix, supposedly for quote, and this was terminated on suspicion of leaking metrics to the press. And I'm just like, that you're going to fire someone because they told you how your Netflix, how this special did, like,
1: but also suspected. Right, like that's—it's not even guaranteed. So they're—they're they're really just du- pulling up any excuse. Because right. even if that were the case, I mean, a tra- transparency around reasons to organize should never be a fireable offense. When you're doing ex- like an expose on peep on the working conditions, because that's what these the, these are part of the working conditions to right. like bring those to light. There's no way that that should be illegal. Though often the company's information is protected more so than any of the workers' daily lives.
0: Yeah, absolutely, for sure. No, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And it's an, it's a transparently flimsy excuse to try and, and neutralize this organizing, which did not work. Um, it did not stop the people. If anything, I would say it only increased the press around the walkout even more. Um, and so I hope that there's. they're able to generate, you know, some support through that to help out this, this person who was fired. But the company has also had just such a stupid response to this, this organizing their, their CEO, Ted Sarandos came out and said, quote, we have a strong belief that content on screen doesn't directly translate to real world harm. And then (laughs) compared like transphobic content to violent video games and was like see violent video games didn't cause everybody to become murderers and therefore we should be able to post whatever we want because whatever is on screen doesn't matter And it's like
1: i think we're absolved of all responsibility sure we put out birth of a nation but like (laughs) you know it's not our fault that there's the rise of the kkk you know
0: yeah, and and no, nobody is is blaming Dave Chappelle for creating transphobia. Like these right. are are systems of oppression that are driven primarily by capitalist relations, and 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 you know Chappelle's comments are a symptom of that,
1: not a root cause. Well, and but, all of the I don't know if there are really even that many good comedians who end up on uh, Netflix. Just mostly like if you you I'm sure you've seen some of the memes, and it's not in our meme review. Maybe we should find one to to give an example in the episode discussion but like there's always the oh people can't talk i'm being censored and like literally there's like 10 different like comedians who are like i'm being censored look at my giant contract with netflix
0: (laughs) yeah it's like the more i complain about being censored the larger my paycheck grows this is weird and you should not pay attention to this relationship in any way (laughs) yeah so in response you know folks have been a lot of folks have have rallied to support these workers there's i, I saw like a bunch of of uh, actual like relatively major actors and actresses like i think specifically like Jamila Jamil like is going to be like at this walkout and like talking about stuff so like they've they've garnered a, a pretty decent amount of support and like they put out a statement which you know seems pretty i think something most people could get behind quote Trans lives matter, trans rights matter. And and as an organization, Netflix has continually failed to show deep care in our mission to entertain the world by repeatedly releasing content that harms the trans community and continually failing to create content that represents and uplifts trans content. We can and must do better, end quote, which uh, who is a, a leader of the employee research source group sent that out in a internal organizing message, which I don't know, that to me doesn't seem like, some great call for censorship like
1: uh, no like i just, wish it was like honestly yeah i i really think that when it comes to this sort of stuff like like trans people are not a debate like the right. the whole like oh like whatever gender critical turf island bullshit like that yeah. stuff needs to be stomped out the, it just again. I will never not post the Sonic meme. Oh, turf is a slur meant to silence you. I wish it worked. Shut the <laughs> fuck up. Well, yeah, because and
0: that's the thing that's so frustrating about this. It's like, yeah, I'm not blaming Dave Chappelle for the existence of transphobia. Like, it that that would be silly, but that doesn't mean that then therefore hosting transphobic content and blaring it out to millions and millions of people is a harmless act in the same way that you wouldn't say that about something that's blatantly racist it's like yeah the all of those forms of oppression interlink in the ability of the ruling class to split people apart and set them fighting against each other instead of you know who we should be fighting against the ruling which class which is
1: netflix that-
0: That's correct. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we should be fighting against Netflix mostly because, like, they have way too much incredibly bad content. And it's, like, really a big problem.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, and not only that. Obviously, they had their special status in the IOTC contracts and other sorts of bullshit that they use to economically disenfranchise their workers.
0: Yeah. And so on Monday, in advance of today's walkout, the organizers did release a list of demands. Again, the sort of—I mean, this is the sort of thing where I'm like, you know, if, if y'all had a union, you could probably ask for stronger demands. But you know, that's a, that's another thing. But and it's relatively simple stuff. It's asking primarily for more inclusion, asking for the company to hire a more diverse workforce—not only more trans and non-binary folks, but also more uh, black, indigenous, you know, people of color—and also, you know, investing in content. From trans and non-binary creators and, and more content from, you know, black, indigenous people of color, as well as revising internal review procedures so that when there is content being produced that may have, you know, the sort of thing that could harm, like, oppressed groups, that people at the company have a chance to weigh in on that. And provide some sort of direction on on, on and, and comment on on whether or not it's a, the right thing for them to be releasing.
1: Yeah, like some sort of democratic say in the work <laughs> conditions.
0: <like> <laughs> yeah, and and one thing that like I thought was was you know notable about it because I've seen some people being like, oh, this is just these are these employees want to do liberal censorship, and it's like, well, well again, um, censorship isn't necessarily bad, but. They aren't calling for that. They're not calling for the company. I mean, there are people who are calling for Netflix to remove the special, and I think that's a perfectly reasonable demand, but like, that's not what these workers are asking for. They are asking specifically f- to not be ignored, to not be retaliated against when they raise their concerns, and to be able to, as, as Lena was saying, like have a more democratic say in, in how their their workplace operates, which... Even if for whatever reason you know you think cancel culture is the biggest threat to the world, I don't know <laughs> Again, why you referred would oppose to
1: the meme I referenced earlier. Yes,
0: <laughs> I don't know why anyone would oppose those demands. So, uh, so we'll see. I mean, the, the walkout's happening. I think like literally right now. So um, unfortunately, yeah. like can't the, report on what's happening yet. Like, but, yeah,
1: we're at like it's like two p.m. on the twentieth.
0: Yeah, so so um, I, I'm hoping that they're able to rally a lot of support from the the local community and actually get, you know, some measure of democratic voice from from the workers at Netflix. I I mean without an actual union, I'm not particularly uh hopeful yeah, about did, getting like, too much.
1: Like I said, I mean, the fact that I don't know what happened at the Spotify thing makes me yeah. kind of think that this might fall into a similar category. I do I'm going to look into it, but I don't have a lot of optimism, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. Um but I guess on the other hand, we can move to our international story where we are covering a ongoing strike of 160,000 metal yeah. workers. It's this is a lot of people.
0: Th- th- yeah, this is uh, the biggest strike you're not hearing about. <laughs> yeah, because um, I feel like the Indian farmer strike, you know, the ongoing biggest strike in the world, does break through the news at least once in a while beyond you know like niche media. But yes, yeah, since October fifth, the largest union in South Africa, the National Union of Metalworkers of South Africa (NUMSA) have been on strike demanding an a minimum of an 8% wage increase immediately and then uh as Lena referred to earlier inflation plus 2% for the next 2 years
1: which is an actual raise that is how yes. you do raises <laughs> yeah yeah cuz that's the thing is like
0: it's sat like it's one of those things where people be like oh this place gets gives me a raise every year it's like was it a 1% raise well that's not that's not even a cost of living adjustment <laughs> um and so that's specifically what, what, what the folks are fighting for here, an actual wage increase and one that actually, you know, isn't a secret wage cut because originally the employers represented by the, uh, let's see, what's it called? The steel and engineering industries, federation of Southern Africa had originally, they're basically the trade group. They'd originally offered a 4% wage increase, which, Again, in a year where global, like obviously inflation is country to country, but there's an average and and South Africa's inflation has been relatively similar to the global rate and has already been over four and a half percent this year. So a four percent increase is a wage cut.
1: It's a half percent wage decrease.
0: Yeah. So... Um, they have a quote in here from one of the striking workers uh, named sapello uh, who's a, a metallurgy technician who said, quote, we're suffering. I've been at this job for 13 years with no gratitude. The salary I get isn't enough. I'm in debt and I have to support my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters. They all depend on me. And that quote gets to the situation in South Africa, which we don't really ever hear about because unemployment is at an insane level in in South Africa right now, over 34% unemployment, which is, like, that's nuts. Like, unemployment got huge in the U.S. at the peak of COVID and didn't come close to that. I think we were at something like 15%, and obviously that's because we didn't, you know, do enough to actually solve COVID, but 34% continuous unemployment is nuts, and that's I think really like shows why it's important to have unions of this size, because a lot of unions under that sort of situation would be terrified of striking because the, the, you know, the employer sector will just tell them, well, everybody's unemployed. We can, we can just hire from the reserve army of labor.
1: Yeah. They'll do the John Deere tactic.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think one of the, but like, so like with the metal and steel workers industry that obviously that it's the sort of thing that, does require at least some training so that helps them but it's that i think it's really the key thing is that mass of 160,000 workers like all organized under one unit that's really allowed them to do this and this has completely paralyzed the the steel and 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 related sectors like the automotive sector which makes up about 5% of south africa's gdp and that's been largely wiped out by this strike. Like, BMW specifically had said to, you know, members of the business press, they're like, yeah, we we can't get parts, so we can't actually make things right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, the estimate is that the strike has cost uh, the industry over $35 million. Now, I want to know what cost it is to, like, <laughs> give in to these workers' demands because, honestly... It should be $35 million.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like an 8% wage increase and then inflation plus 2%. And that's a deal breaker. Like for these folks in the auto parts manufacturing industry, I, I I mean, that's ridiculous. And, and so like, they've tried coming back to the negotiating table. They, the, the manufacturers came back and said, Oh, we'll give you a 6% raise. And and the the union came back and said, "Okay, is that real wages, or is that taking in, or is that not above inflation?" And they were just like, "Um, six percent raise,
1: yeah." <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so they've 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 gotten you know, they basically refused to actually give the workers a real way, uh, ra- wage increase, and have continued to push for basically just keeping their their wages, the same, locked into inflation. And so the workers are still out on strike. And recently, a smaller union, the Metal and Electrical Workers Union of South Africa, added its much smaller 16,000 members <laughs> to the strike. So you've now got over 170,000 workers on strike. And it's interesting because you've got these, like, kind of sort of, like, brinksmanship... uh. Comments from both sides, where you have uh, Lucio Trentini, who's the operations director of that uh, Saifsa, which is the trade federation of the pre- manufacturers, who said, "quote Given the current economic and trading conditions and economic data tracking, the performance of the sector over the last twenty four months, we believe the improved offer is more than fair, equitable, and sustainable." And continued, "quote." The longer the posturing and refusal to close refusal to close a salary agreement continues, the more jobs will eventually be lost in a in an industry which should be doing everything possible to protect each and every job in the sector. So basically blaming the union for the state of South Africa's economy.
1: <laughs> right, when I believe that the what the company is the one denying the workers the That's correct. the <laughs> conditions to come back to work, right? Yeah. I, I don't think I'm wrong about that. No, you are correct. <laughs>
0: and, but I love the response from Numsa's general secretary Irvin Jim, who who responded to that uh, you know, claim from the trade association who said that if the manufacturers don't improve their, their salary increase, Numsa will continue the strike and collapse the steel industry if necessary. Good. <laughs> Which like hell
1: yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck them! If they're really going to be shitty, then then shitty shit's going to come.
0: Well, because <laughs> and that's the, well, and the thing is, is that people might say, "Oh, that's such a destructive attitude." I'm like, the industry is only exists because of these workers, like the hundred and seventy thousand workers that are on strike. The only reason that any of those companies have any money or could do anything, so it, if 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 they're not being paid enough to provide for their families, then maybe the industry should collapse.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry, so, but I don't feel bad.
0: <laughs> yeah. So like huge, huge props to this union. I love to see like this sort of actual backbone to just be like, all right, bet. Fuck you guys. <laughs> like yeah. all they're, all they're asking for is a reasonable wage. I wish they were asking to nationalize the companies I mean, then they wouldn't have to put up with this stuff, but their their demands are are pretty small, to be honest. And the fact that even that can't get a, a reasonable response from manufacturers, I'm glad that the their union is is telling them to fuck off.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think that we can do a, a comparison of scale with our yeah. uh, our second to last story here for the day where we go back to the United States and cover what I just referenced a minute ago the John Deere workers who are participating in the largest strike of the year so far which consists of uh about or more uh more was it more it's a a bit, little bit more than ten thousand yep. workers and uh if you've been following this at all, there's a lot of interesting details that are going on, including the scab labor, uh, kind of showing that engineers are fucking idiots.
0: Yes. As an engineer can confirm, we are in fact morons, uh, do not have us do, um, you know, trade labor. Cause we don't know how to do it. It's a really bad idea to try and use engineers as labor that trades do because, Uh, I think as any tradesperson will be able to correctly tell you, like the engineers that design most of these products cannot fucking find their way around actually using it.
1: (laughs) So, um, on Friday, the all of these workers went on strike. It is actually their first strike since 1986. Though, even looking back at their strike in 1986, they have been kind of a you know their strikes have been kind of militant, and even their new shirts are pretty pretty serious reminds yeah, me and of the mine workers a little bit
0: <laughs> yeah they've been putting out all sorts of great great stuff from the picket lines this is one thing uh if you're not following jonah Furman, who's a writer and labor reporter for labor notes really recommend that you do he's like one of the the, the best like you know twitter follows that i found for finding news and has been on top of the deer story since it started and One thing that's interesting about this strike, in addition to being, you know, it's the largest strike in the country so far with 10,000 workers, which is great. It's forming one of the, you know, the backbones of striketober. But one of the things I think is specifically interesting of it is that this is very much a rank and file strike. Because there have been tentative agreements that the UAW bargaining team recommended and was resoundingly rejected, I believe, by over 90% by the actual rank and file members, which is very similar to what we saw at Volvo truck during the summer where other UAW members rejected multiple proposed tentative agreements and eventually did end up getting a better contract by doing that. And so one of the things that's been interesting with this strike is not just the specific grievances that the workers have with John Deere, which we'll get into in a minute. And you folks can probably anticipate what a lot of those (laughs) grievances are. But also the fact that the rank and file in the UAW are clearly not happy with the international leadership and don't think that it has been forwarding their best interests and has been you know a bit too <laughs> this may be an understatement a bit too business friendly and concessionary in some of their their recent proposed contracts mm-hmm
1: yeah, I, I think that one uh, of the things that I have seen from a lot of the workers, if you actually watch some of the videos of them talking or some of the stuff going on, is like they, they know exactly what is happening. They know that their boss yeah. is getting a, what a hundred and sixty percent raise or something like that, which is on the shirts. And um, when they're talking, they're talking about the actual numbers, the the profits that have increased, the actual like monetary reasons why the company can afford. to to do right by these workers and like you you, I I just I really feel like in the United States there's got to be this kind of um condescending look on like John Deere workers because they're you know kind of related to farm labor or rural labor and and how they expect that these oh these are just dumb hicks or whatever and uh even if you know some of them are hicks like they're not dumb they they know what they're fucking doing (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, as we've said so many times, there's no such thing as unskilled labor. Well, That's right. And, I mean, even if there was, I don't think manufacturing gigantic farm equipment is something you could call that. Um, and so specifically, like, like what Lena was talking about, what they've been pushing back against is a lot of the issues we've seen in many other strikes. Like, first of all, obviously... Insufficient wage increases, They the, the company had proposed a 12% raise, which sounds good, except that it's over six years, which means that that's only a 2% raise per year, uh, which is a, a wage cut. It, it's a wage cut, yeah. Because <laughs> that's the thing. They, there's the raw number you look at, and then there's your real wages as determined by purchasing power, which is affected by inflation. And they, you know, again, so many companies rely on this idea that by saying they're giving you a raise – you will be lulled into not understanding that in if it's a small enough number, you less than, you know, 3%, it's probably actually a decrease in your actual compensation.
1: Yeah. So, but also a 6-year labor contract. I just yeah, want to point out that they are long. trying to push a 6-year labor contract. If that doesn't scream labor peace, then I don't know what does. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing is with these workers there's been an attempt that seems to have failed completely and so I think the deer has mostly dropped this but there's an attempt to try and paint these workers as like like incredibly well paid and having these like luxurious contracts but that like completely seems to have like like failed to launch because folks very quickly pointed out that while some folks from working mandatory overtime did make a decent amount of money the average salary for workers at these plants is $20 an hour and DEER is anticipating a 150% increase over their previous ever highest revenues this year. And they're only offering workers a 2% wage increase. And most of these folks are making barely $20 an hour.
1: And, we're, and they're trying to compare the people who are working mandatory overtime uh, right. So you know, it, it, and mandatory overtime should always be a little bell in people's ear to say there are not enough workers. That's right, because yeah. if, and and if these people are being run ragged like that, I mean the overtime should be four x. I don't care. Like if they really like, I don't know. I just I can't imagine being the example of a good wage and then being the person who's been busting their ass like 60, 70 hours a week to yeah. to make a decent wage.
0: Yeah, and, and like so many of these recent strikes, one of the things that links almost all of them, almost every single one of them together, is the use and previous acceptance of, by a lot of these unions, multiple-tiered contracts. And the reason I'm not saying two-tiered is because in this story... You have Deer trying to introduce a third tier to an already two-tiered system.
1: Right. They refer to a certain sector of their employees as pre-97 employees, which is of the the year 1997 when... uh, the when a lot of the wage agreements changed so yep. there's literally a there was a there was a two-tiered system of you know these legacy workers and then a a lower uh, standard for newer workers post 1997 uh again re- reminding people that their strike previously was in what 1986 19- yes <laughs> and uh so it took 11 years for them to basically like create a contract that was adversarial to new workers. And now they're trying to ramp that up yet again.
0: Yeah. Like one of the the stories I saw pointed out that for some of the workers, the raises that were proposed by deer, in addition to not being even keeping up with inflation would represent a six cent raise from what the, the pre 97 workers who the workers who worked at deer before they implemented this, this two tier contract it only represented a $0.06 cent raise from what those workers were making 10 years ago, which like that tells you exactly what the, the purpose of those two-tiered you know contracts, what that's for. And so a big part of the UAW membership's refusal to accept the proposed tentative agreement from the UAW staff was to prevent the company's proposal to introduce a third tier, a to create a post 21 workforce who would not have pensions and would run up against lower wages, lower benefits, basically all the sorts of, they, they want to make the, you know, these workers see very few benefits from unionizing so that eventually they could break the union at the workforce. In addition to just paying these workers far less than they deserve. And, and there was a quote in here from one of the UAW members on strike Who said, quote, this is the first time in a decade I've been proud to be part of this union for our members, my brothers and sisters, because everyone is united. Everyone has the same goal and everyone is ready to fight for each other. And and that's exactly you know, that's what the union is supposed to be. And that's what's so like encouraging about these rank and file pushbacks against these decades and decades of concessionary pro business bargaining. Mm
1: hmm. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it weird how we've been like, you need to do rank-and-file organizing, and then suddenly there's a rank-and-file movement, and the people are like, <laughs> you know, I like my union. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it just, just seems like...
0: <laughs> which, it's, well, yeah, it's weird. It's almost like they've just, they figured out, hey, wait, this union should work for us, and because it's a union and not a bourgeois political party, we actually can make it work for us. If we actually get together, because it's like the work, as we said, the workers are the union. And so you get enough of them, you can make that union do whatever you want. And, and that's, what's been so great to see about this deer strike is there's been, I've seen huge amounts of enthusiasm. We've seen tons of videos posted online of, of like UPS, FedEx, all sorts of other truck drivers refusing to cross Picket lines like bikers doing like you know drive throughs of the the picket lines to show support
1: they oh yeah and by bikers we don't mean bicyclists they mean <laughs> yeah. this is like people with cuts and and like leather jackets putting like lining their motorcycles up you know stepping off and just like standing there like they it, there's some pretty cool solidarity stuff
0: yeah it's been great um and like they one thing that was interesting that that Jonah from in the labor notes reporter had leaked was he'd leaked some information that had come out from basically like uh, somebody who's basically doing intelligence, but for the business community, like on the ground there. And this was like a report that caused UA that caused um,
1: deer stock to crater. The CBIA, the central business intelligence agency. Yeah, I mean,
0: uh, yeah, there's been, I could go off about
1: that, but uh, <laughs> like
0: there have been like, some analysts downgrading Deere's stock by as much as 25% in response to these reports, which are basically saying what we've been talking about that the workers at John Deere are revved the fuck up about this and are pissed off at the union leadership for these concessionary contracts. Meaning that like, they're not likely to, you know, go out there for a week and then wait for the, you know, public support to die down and then really stick it to them. And they won't be able to stay. It's like, no, these folks are, are like really invested in this. It's the whole union membership. It's not just, you know, a small leadership group and that these folks will be in it for the long haul, which means that like, cause deer has also had some leaked strategy documents on what they're trying to do. And their goal is to get there to use scabs, to plug, plug the gap, mostly by trying to force salaried workers like engineers into these trade jobs, which they don't know how to do. Um, but then try and hire people and get, The operations back up and running by november 15th at full uh speed and that does not look anywhere close like that's gonna happen
1: (laughs) well i think that the i don't know it just looks like they are gonna end up a little bit on the on the level of the mine of the mine workers maybe not uh locked out so long but i i think that the militancy really does remind me of the umwa
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I, I I think that these UAW workers are, they're in it. I've seen a, they've been getting like tons of donations to their strike fund, which it it's a little different. Like when there's 10,000 people on strike, a a strike fund that gets, you know, $40,000 gets a lot of money, but it's, it's different than it's like when there's, you know, 500 workers on strike. So, uh, we'll definitely be sharing the strike funds in the show notes, obviously, you know, if you can, please contribute to any of those or any of the other, you know, strike funds that we've talked about on the show. Yeah, but I, I also I think feel these folks... free to
1: post any that we might have missed. Like Absolutely. if there's ever something that we overlook, we really, we really appreciate yes. people coming in and, uh, you know, having us issue corrections. Which actually, I think we do have one at the end of the episode.
0: Uh, yeah, and like just one other thing, like just to specifically note the the importance of these strike funds is that. Deer has announced they're going to cut off the workers' health care on the 27th, which they don't have to do. They're just doing it to try and force the strike out quicker, partially because during the pandemic, there was federally subsidized COBRA benefits, which is just, COBRA sucks. It's fucking terrible. It's way too expensive. But it was something that workers had access to with these federal subsidies. Those subsidies were allowed to expire by Congress on the 1st. So now if workers lose their health care and want to get COBRA, it's, basically so prohibitively expensive it's nobody can really afford it and so that's a big part of what these strike funds stuff can do is so if you have folks that do you know need access to health care they're able to actually go and do that because of things like these strike funds so that's the sort of stuff just to emphasize like the importance of supporting this sort of stuff like i've already you know donated to 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 a couple of those and i definitely you know anybody who can i recommend it
1: yeah, yeah, and I mean, like, I'm I'm hoping that you know, at some point, our our show is going to be able to uh, have enough money to start contributing to some of these these projects because sure. really, that's that's another one of at least a, a goal we haven't voted on it yet, but we'll we're it's it's not uh, we're gonna we're gonna vote on it soon. <laughs> yeah,
0: and speaking of voting and workers, I don't really have a good transition for this one, but our last story this week is. Uh, Yet another new union, folks, this time in an area that we haven't really talked about before because they are the first union that we're aware of anyway. In the uh, tabletop gaming industry where the United Paizo Workers uh, just last week announced the formation of their union uh, affiliated with the CWA. uh, And these are – I believe it's just over 30 workers at Paizo, which is the company that makes tabletop games like Pathfinder, Starfinder, they're one of the, the you it's know like bigger Dungeons names. and
1: Dragons kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, like Wizards of the Coast is the big name that everybody knows because they they make they own D and D. They 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 own you know Magic the Gathering and all that stuff. But Paizo is like the other big name in there, and so this is a for the uh, an industry that's you know pretty niche. It's not that big. Like this is a big deal because. Getting a if they can get a union up and running at Paizo, no reason I couldn't see one showing up at Wizards of the Coast, and that although that's Hasbro, yeah, no, I know they have a lot (laughs) of corporate resources. They're they're actually headquartered right here. Um, Mm. They've got yeah, they do definitely have a lot more corporate resources backing them. But like Pyzo, despite being a small company that a lot of well, relatively small that a lot of folks may not have heard of, is a big name in this industry, and so. This would be a big deal, and and specifically, what what led these folks to unionize? You know, in addition to the fact that all workers should have a union, is they specifically re, uh, talked about a recent firing of a a, a well liked customer service and community manager uh, who, and and then departures of, of folks afterwards in response to working conditions at the company. They also they've also talked about stories from former current employees and freelancers and contract workers about abuse sexual harassment, mistreatment, and, and hostile management. So it kind of runs the gamut of, of, of most of the things that you hear about with, with the reasons why folks are forming a, a new union.
1: Yeah. I this when I see things like uh they had uh, someone who was fired that they liked, it reminds me of of one of the rules that we have at our co-op which is uh being able to recall management. I yeah. I think that that is something that all workers should have the power to do because if management fires your favorite, you know, friend uh at work or whatever, you know what? Fuck management. You know, <laughs> like- Well, cuz that's the
0: thing is like if 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 the purpose of management is to make the place run better and if they're firing people for some petty bullshit then even from the business's perspective the management isn't doing their job and it and and really it's just the workers working in the the, the benefit of everybody to make sure that doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but absolutely. Like,
0: the the workers mentioned in their statement announcing their union that, quote, Paizo's workers are underpaid for their labor, required to live in one of the most expensive cities in the U.S., and subject to untenable crunch conditions on a regular basis. And to get mm. into that, what they're talking about, like they are not kidding because the there were sources in uh, this Wired article that I was reading about this that Paizo is is typically offering between 35000 and $40,000 for a full-time employee – in Redmond, which is a suburb of Seattle. And like, so you want people to make 17 to $20 an hour living in, you know, a suburb of a pretty fucking expensive city to live in.
1: Yeah. Which where what the average rent is and 17 hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's pretty uh, unreasonable, uh, to expect that these workers who are in a company that is, actually pretty big for having so few employees that they are real that they're only paid so so little it's, it's ridiculous yeah. and then uh you have the the, the uh, um the the audaciousness of this fucking of this ceo and found and co-founder of this company saying that she didn't understand why the employees yeah. complained about poor working conditions in fact they recall her saying <laughs> that, she, that they should be honored to work on Pathfinder because others would do so for free. You know what? This... All right. All right. This one always (laughs) pisses me off, and I know I bring it up often enough, but they, they i have almost quoted that bullshit so many times because working in like art industry or or other sorts of like media manufacturing that's exactly what they tell everyone it's like oh Mm -hmm. well i could get someone to work for free so why don't you just grovel here are your crumbs go away peasant
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i mean you we heard this shit about the workers in the IATSE strike. Obviously this is rampant in the games industry. Like we heard that all, all over the place associated with the attempted organizing at Activision Blizzard, but it's, it's like, it's one of the most common tactics that any of these sorts of companies use is to try and convince you that you should be, that you are lucky to have, to be being paid under a living wage to work in in this industry which is just like no yeah (laughs) it's a job
1: it's just i I can almost quite quote uh mike shibatoni famous union buster fucking uh you know this job doesn't actually seem that bad you want to know some bad working conditions these people working (sighs) in this meat packing play blah 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 it's like you know what fuck you fuck you and not recognizing the fact that we actually are struggling here that these people are paid under a living wage in a very very high cost area like and also there's fucking harassment how is that like good working conditions you should you know what people would love to get harassed for free (laughs) at this kind of job you know what fuck yourself i don't give a goddamn about what these oh that's just
0: well and that's it like I, that's a mindset I've definitely run into, like in actually, like, not just among you know working union busters, but among workers, where you'll get people who are like bragging about how much they've been exploited, they, it, and it ties in so much with the like hustle and grind culture, where it's like, oh, oh wow, you you're complaining that you had to work a sixty hour week Well, I worked a seventy hour week. It's like that's not good. Stop bragging about how much you were getting fucking ripped off by your boss, and yeah. you know. <laughs> actually work together with the other people who are complaining so that you don't have to get exploited like that anymore. It's not a badge of honor to get hyper exploited by some rich asshole. <laughs> yeah. Like, do not fall for sweat pledge micro bullshit. That is propaganda specifically attempting to indoctrinate you.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that citations needed as an episode on the sweat pledge. So if you want to yeah. understand what that means, go back and check that out.
0: And um, and, and so these workers have, have asked the company for voluntary recognition. Um, they do seem to have a lot of like relatively high placed employees there. Um, there was a statement here from a, a, a primary editor at Paizo who's one of the organizing members, Shay Snow, who said, quote, unions have helped build a stronger working class in America. And I'm proud to stand with United Paizo workers. I believe that when we all work together, we're better for it. Unionization allows workers to have a seat at the table and ensures that our voices and concerns are being heard and addressed so that all of Paizo can move forward for a positive future.
1: Like, wouldn't it be nice to have, like, a good tabletop game where you know that the people who made it are happy and living good lives and that the game was made with love and care and not exploitation? Like, you know, yeah.
0: it's I not would, like, it's I not like f-
1: the fucking job is in the game rules where, oh, no, we have to have all of the bad things.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> So uh, they're waiting now to to hear back or hoping for voluntary recognition, which eh, we'll see.
1: I mean, that's pretty rare. They're not going to do it. <laughs> but, I don't mean to be... So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No,
0: I know. That almost never <laughs> happens. Yeah. But uh, obviously, like when there's big developments in this, if they get an announcement that they're not you know, voluntarily recognizing them and hiring Littler Mendelssohn and doing all the awful shit they're probably going to do, <laughs> uh, we will definitely follow up and, and see how this this goes but they've been on quite the press blitz lately uh and that's definitely good to get the word out there and also hopefully this work inspires more people in the tabletop industry to realize that hey that whole you should be happy to have a job in the games industry shit doesn't like that doesn't pay your bills (laughs) organizing can
1: yeah being being thankful for nothing does not pay the bills that's correct (laughs) yeah (laughs) um all right Let's go to the meme review. I, I think That's we, right. I, we we deserve this. Which I just time, I just folks. yelled into the microphone. I got really <laughs> I got angry there for a second. You know it happens. We need to chill out just a little bit. We need some some good laughs. Uh, how about this uh, photo of this this uh, Hollywood studio owned by WB, where uh, one the garage door has a spirit Halloween sign over it.
0: <laughs> this is a meme that has transitioned into reality. It, I, I I really do love this. this yeah, this is a, a tweet from somebody who who pointed out that like in ahead of the like I, this was from last week before the tentative agreement but like uh, in advance of a potential strike you've got all these workers being like damn look it's shut down it's already turned into a spirit halloween <laughs>
1: yeah. i i love those and and if people have more spirit halloween uh themed memes like, <laughs> yes they really they are lifting my spirits The they the, the spirit halloween stores signs are just the funniest shit I, I absolutely I, love it.
0: I don't have a like. I don't have it here, but I can swear that like through all this searching, I, fe- I, I think it was a, one of the Kellogg strikers yeah. did like the same thing and put up a spirit Halloween banner on like one of the fences that had been hastily erected to you know keep people away from the the plant.
1: Yeah. Well. And speaking of keeping people away from the plant, our next one is actually just a piece of IWW agit prop. Uh, agitprop. Uh, just says don't scab. Uh, Whenever you speed up work uh, Speed up work long hours On the job uh, You're scabbing for the unemployed It's true Yeah well
0: and it's like obviously This is you know older IWW Stuff probably I would guess probably From the 40's uh, Era time frame But like this gets at Exactly what so many of these contract Issues are about lately which is Is that
1: labor intensification
0: Yeah like Labor intensification doesn't just happen in the form of like uh, the speeding up an assembly line. Like uh, that's the one that people think of. And for certain, like we've seen that in especially things like the meatpacking industry that strike at El El Milagro, the tortilla place in, in Chicago. That still absolutely happens. But labor intensification is also when you allow the company to hire fewer workers than they need to hire by, you know, working so many extra hours, and that's obviously nobody is necessary. Nobody's going in and being like, "I want to work twelve hours, fourteen hours, sixteen hours." But like, that's why it's so important to have a union and push back against that shit, and not let the company do it. Not only for your own benefit, not only for the well-being of you and your coworkers, but also because of the fact that by that, when the company is able to do that to intensify labor that way, they're able to continue to maintain. The size of the reserve army of labor, the unemployed that they want, which they're then able to use as a counterweight against you and your coworkers in your organizing by saying, well, yeah, we get that you really want these raises, but you've got all these people out there, you know, out on the street that are unemployed. We could just hire any of them. They would absolutely work here without the the Raises And so that's why, you know, it's, it's another reason it's so important to stick to your guns on these negotiations. Yeah.
1: It reminds me of the, the work, work, how much you're getting paid, slow, like barely do your job. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. That's because that's the thing. It's like, it's like that other one that we talked about a while ago. You want wages for nothing. You want labor for nothing. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> this, this next one. I loved it. This is made by good friend of the show. Ethan. Uh, in response to a very real and bizarre incident that happened on the deer strike that uh jonah Furman was was tweeting about where scabs coming into some of the deer plants are coming in literally wearing uh jason Voorhees hockey masks to hide their identities from strikers yeah, and like first <laughs> off that Did should be to go a in really big murderer masks like that should be a big are we the baddies moment like <laughs> <laughs> but so in response to that Ethan has made this excellent meme where it's a it's a modification of the Freddy versus Jason uh movie poster but it's instead of Freddy on the one side it's Scabby the rat.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's Labor versus Jason. <laughs> yeah. That's this re- is I love really it. Good. Spooky season. It's striketober merging together with the incredibly bizarre shit that these companies are doing to try and get scabs to come in and help them break these strikes.
1: Yeah. And then our next one is a uh, Star Trek meme. Though I have said many times before, I'm not as familiar with Star Trek. I did really like this one. This is, uh, I guess, well, Dan, you probably know these characters, so I'm going to let you read this one.
0: So this is uh, this is Worf and Dax. This is a this is a Deep Space Nine meme. So you've got them sitting. I think this is in Quark's bar on the station, and and Worf is just out here and he's saying, it is not possible to be both a winner and a loser. And Dax responds, what about employee of the month? <laughs> and then it looks at Worf and he's just like- Doing a double take. Looking one direction, looking the other. Very puzzled, very frustrated. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you are an employee and you did such a good job that they are commending you? Hmm, think emoji.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that it's very the hmm
1: emoji. <laughs> yeah. And uh this last one is a nice like free form meme. It's just a nice rainbow in the background with a bunch of text. That's uh, very pretty. It says anything is possible. I love that. It makes me feel very good. You know, <laughs> anything is possible. One of the things that is possible is you can lie on your resume. Photoshop pay stubs for rental applications. Life is short. You're literally paying rent on stolen land with money that doesn't e- that that isn't even real. Fuck them. Like That's correct. Yeah so make sure to do a good job photoshopping just you know yeah (laughs) but but like do it i encourage people to do that
0: yeah also if you have to put down references on your resume there's nothing that says you can't put your friends yeah and And just say they're people who used to work there
1: (laughs) exactly let's say oh yeah this is this is my boss you can reach them at friend's phone number that's right (laughs)
0: Um, well, that's the meme review this yeah. week, and, and as Lena was was referring to, we did have a qu- quick correction to something from from last episode where we talked about uh, the Voodoo Donuts case, where folks had been, you know, ordered to be rehired. We had originally reported that that was a actual ruling from the NLRB, which is not hundred percent accurate. It, that was actually specifically that the regional director. Of the NLRB had found merit of the charges of the unfair labor practice by the employer, and is trying to reach a settlement, which includes, you know, rehiring workers, etc. Yeah. Uh, so. If the settlement fails, then the region will issue a complaint, set a trial date, which would be months down the road, and subject to appeal, which could be a year or more to play out. Um, and so, this is a potentially a long process, and the system working as designed to continue to fuck over workers as much as possible. So, it's not quite the immediate benefit that we'd originally made it out to be and uh while it does look like there's a decent chance because of how obvious the violations were and the fact that you do have this initial finding of merit from the regional director that some of these workers will be rehired and get back pay but it's going to be a long torturous process for them to do that so and we really appreciate um one of the members of donut workers united who got in touch with us after the episode to provide that that clarification for us
1: yeah absolutely well and I mean I'm gonna do the plugs, but then it's just gonna lead me right to what I really wanna say right now. But uh, you know, if we appreciate your support, for one. Absolutely. If you can't afford to support the show, go ahead and, and share the episodes on your on your social media, talk about what your favorite stories are. Um, you know, let people know about us. It really helps us out. Um if you'd like to you know monetarily support us go to patreoncom stoppage throw us 5 bucks that's the only tier that we o- that offer if you want to do more you can but um you know that's how that works join us in the discord and you can get some of these updates a little bit faster we have a really great news feed of full of worker stories that don't quite make it into the episode and uh you know give us a review uh, follow John, who, you know, we all wish him very good health on, on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Uh, follow us at Work Stoppage Pod and listen to Beep Beep Lettuce and Red Game Table. And as always, we will see you next time. Labor peace is not in our interest. Solidarity forever. Solidarity, everybody. Uh...